everyone, and welcome to the Sporting Global Podcast. And today we have a very new format here going. We have sort of like an interactive podcast with Mikkel. And Mikkel, it's a pleasure having you here. How, how are you? How's, how's life? All is well. Um, continuing a beautiful day here in sunny Florida. Just wrapping up a big session today on the track and getting ready for a nice productive work day. That, that's awesome. And I mean, like, you can't really complain going straight into an interactive podcast with Sporting Global. <laughs> Not at all. It's a great, it's a great mo- morning cap. Right. And I mean, like, being in South Florida, too, I remember, like, I visited Miami not too long ago, too, before the pandemic. You know, it's just uh, amazing. You know, it's something different. You know, it's, it's good just being in South Florida and, and getting that experience. But for those of you that, you know, are listening to this uh, and maybe are seeing like all these faces in the background on, on, on the top there. So what I was saying, like we have a new format that we're trying out today and that's sort of like a way of like, how can we, you know, bring in you guys, like the students to like be part of this, you know, being a little bit closer than just, you know, listening to the videos or, or the podcast itself, but like being part of it and feeling okay this is my chance to talk to Mikkel to ask him questions or, or other people down the road. And, and of course, if, if you like to hear, you know, key advice from people like Mikkel, like, like others, you know, make sure to like this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And of course, all of you that are here, make sure to do so if you haven't already, it's going to help us a lot. Maybe write like a comment as well of like what you thought was great about the video and maybe have some questions for, for Mikkel that you can put it down in your comments. So, Mikhail, we're gonna we're gonna start right to like into the I guess the core question, and that's sort of like how did your love for sports, you know, come up, and I guess like the passion for hurling. That is a really good question. My journey, you know, started on a beautiful Twin Islands, Trinidad and Tobago, where you know track and field is probably one of the easiest to access sports because you're just running, and right. so on the island to see who's the fastest person was just what you did. Uh, but it probably wasn't until our family immigrated to New York City where I was just a typical high school kid running in the hallways and I got snatched by the Dean um, right. and he put me in up of detention or track practice. And I think yeah. the fact that I'm definitely an advocate for sport for development, giving sport and using it as a tool to give youths a different option in life, it definitely helped me make the best decision clearly because I've run around the world twice by now. Um, But that's really what it started as. It started as an opportunity to put myself and my energy into a a craft and it developed into something that really molded me and and helped me discover more about myself by discovering the world around me. But honestly, the hurdles, the event itself, I I got into it uh, first to try to make myself a little bit more attractive to the U.S. college collegiate system in recruiting. Uh, right. But the one that hurdles specifically because someone told me I couldn't. And so I stand <laughs> strong 5'8 in a six-foot dominated event. And I just did not like the idea of someone telling me what I can or can't do. And right. I, I proved myself right rather than proving other people wrong. That, that's awesome. And I mean, like, I, I think, you know, that that's sort of like getting that doubt, you know, to your, like that someone is just like, ah, oh, you can't do that. It, it just kicks like something different, right? And I think we all, you know, that are, you know, somehow in part of this sport industry, either as sport professionals or, or athletes, you know, and sort of like, we love showing people, you know, the, that, that, we, that, that we can prove ourselves and that, you know, whatever you say, like, we'll, we'll, we'll do it our way and we can make things work. So I think it's very, very important story. And and, and obviously you're a three times Olympian uh, preparing for the fourth, you know, coming up. And, and I wanted to sort of like hear first and foremost, like you've been part of the Olympics. Like how, how is that experience at all? Like just like from, you know, being part of it, like what have you learned? What have you seen like during the three that you've been part of so far? And, and like, yeah, what changes have you seen essentially? Oh man. Uh, the- First off, there's nothing like walking into an Olympic stadium for an opening ceremony. Uh, Can't imagine. The nervousness, the, the rush of emotion, the spine tingling atmosphere when your country is called and you're marching across that stage. 
the lights are dark and the next thing you know, you're in an explosion of emotion as people just celebrate the moment. Uh, right. One like no other. I think my favorite games would definitely have to be Beijing 2008 because it was my first. Um, so right. it was a little bit extra newness. nervous. <laughs> it was just the newness of everything in and around you. You're seeing people like Kobe, rest in peace. You're seeing like Serena Williams. You're seeing global stars, Messi from all over the place, <laughs> all in the same place. And then you're like, wait, I'm here too. And right. so 20 year old in my first Olympics, it was just like mind boggling. Uh, and then <laughs> after that, every other Olympics was a business trip. <laughs> so <laughs> mentality shifts as you kind of evolve um, right. that sometimes a good and a bad thing uh, but this year god willing as i go for my fourth it's an opportunity to just it's a celebration of a career and hopefully plant seeds for the next generation this is this is it for me <laughs> so uh, it, it's a nice way to cap off an amazing career and contribute back to the sport to ensure that other people can do greater things that, that, that's awesome. I mean, like, I, I guess, you know, from, from being like from the first one in 2008, and of course, as, as I said, I assume like, you know, going to Beijing by genius in, in self, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, it's a, it, it was something different. And I know like that, that major event got a lot of, you know, publicity and a lot of exposure because of how they did things. It was sort of like a new way in, in many ways of the Olympics. And, and, but, but what are some of like, I guess, like, the changes that you saw being part of like you know three olympic events and sort of like from the first one to like okay your last one and and even like going into now of like mm-hmm. what were some like the key things i guess you've been seeing that that you're like wow this is different like it just goes in a different direction absolutely i mean i've been very fortunate to be a part of three different olympic games in three different country continents that's right. three different you know, from Beijing in 08 to London in 2012 to Rio in yeah. 2016. And those who understand the business of sport, every one of those markets are very intricately different. There's certain nuances in how the games are experienced both as an athlete and as a fan. So there's huge evolutions that I've been able to see from uh, a greater emphasis on the entertainment side of the sport, from right. how opening ceremony to even London's opening ceremony how we engage with the fans on a regular basis, the stories that we tell behind the athletes. There's a lot more, the rise of social media. 2008 didn't even this. 2012 was creeping and you can guarantee, especially with no fans and allowed in 2021 and 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, there's going to be a bigger need for that social media to interact directly with a lot of your sporting fans. And so there's a lot of that digitization that has been an evolution. There's a lot more of that personalization because the athletes started to come up more on the front side and matching people's passion points. I think we care about the organizations that we align with. We're not seeing the McDonald's in the same capacity as it was in the beginning. Who knows where things are going to be in the future, but companies are starting to align with society and and sport is one of those very cool places where what happens in sport kind of is a representation of what can happen globally because sports has a win-lose column because we're fighting for equity because we're fighting for sustainability because we're challenging companies and organizations to do certain things differently it's just a representation of what we're asking for society to do overall no, I think I think it's a really interesting, you know, shift and, and yeah. probably like the 2021, 20, 2022, you know, Olympics will definitely be like, you know, the, the what can I say, the tech Olympics. <laughs> and maybe, you know, put a lot of, I guess, the, the guidelines of like how future Olympic events will be, you know, in a sense. And I think it will be a very uh, interesting learning experience. And yeah. And, and I guess from your side too, of just like, you know, comparing that to your 2008 Olympic and just see like how far it's come. Right. And, yep. and, and so like just what have changed, you know, since, since then. Um, and 
just to move a little bit a little bit on because obviously now you know when and, and through the the time of you being an olympic athlete you've been obviously you know balancing both both your academic your your professional work you know working for visa and i guess like all of us are sort of like you know students maybe not like you know competing at the highest level but we all been involved in sports at some point and then just like thinking like whoa how do you balance, you know, competing, like, and preparing for Olympic, being an Olympic athlete, and then just, you know, working for Visa, you know, took you, taking your, you know, graduate degree and so forth, and, and just like, what tips do you have on that side, and how do you, how do you structure your day to make, make this work? Good question. It's an <laughs> on experiment, to tell you the truth, um, but one thing that definitely helped is time management. Yeah, it's a little bit of cliche, um, but I think Arnold Schwarzenegger said, you, everybody's kind of given 24 hours is how you use it and, and what you do with it. I remember him saying a comment about how much sleep that you actually need. You should sleep harder. Well, there's things that you can do smarter as well. So we're all given the same amount of hours is how you really get a chance to use your day. The idea also that right now, because of the pandemic, uh, we get a lot of time back because we're not traveling and commuting as we used to. Right. So in many cases, I'm in a very unique situation. Um, and even when I was in Switzerland studying at AISDS, uh, there was facilities right across the this, this street that I was able to access. So uh, time management is one. Uh, throughout my whole career, I've always been a dual athlete, whether it mm. was coaching at the NCAA level or becoming a firefighter in Clayton County in Georgia to again, now working with a corporate America. I've always had to do something else simultaneously. Right. It's the other part of sport that only in track and field, maybe 10% are actually making living wages. That's a whole nother conversation. So many right. of us have to find a way to sustain ourselves. I've always had to find something else. Plus it was also helpful for me um, in the identity portion because sport is a right of place where many athletes would rest their identity. But I've been in a position where one day uh, the media loves me, the next day I failed because I came fourth in Shanghai. Doesn't make sense. But because of that up and down, it's a hard place to just rest who you were as a person. So I had to discover, chose to discover what else I was capable of doing. And being a dual athlete allowed me to turn up here and then decompress and to be able to shift my mental energy rather than being so locked in. At a younger stage in your career, I can be beneficial. As you get older, you have more demands on your life. Um, so just knowing what's important to you, managing your time and your relationships well. And at the end of the day, the part that no one likes to say is there will be sacrifice. Uh, there's a cost to every decision that you make. Right. So uh, there's a understanding what it takes to be an Olympian, understanding what it takes to successfully have careers will come at a cost of social, financial, um, relational, those type of things. But I understand that for a period of time and those that are part of this journey, they understand as well. And then that makes the matter. It's about quality over quantity. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's some really insightful thoughts there. Um, and, and I guess, like, uh, as, a, as a follow up on that too of like, like how has sort of like that planning or I guess structuring changed from like if, if you go a little bit back into maybe like the the previous Olympics and then to now right like of now you're sort of like balancing more of a professional career with going into your fourth one and and I guess like you know sort of like how how is that sort of like has there been any changes or like how is what are some of those changes like if you go like more specifically I guess Definitely. I mean, in the NCAA, being a dual athlete is almost like mandatory and most of the decisions are done for you. On a professional level, you have to be able to manage those decisions for yourself. And right. then get a little bit older and you have more demands on you, more responsibilities, more bills that you're adulting now. You have to deal with a lot of those things. Uh, there's a shift in understanding how to prioritize. And so right. even now, you have to manage your energy, you have to manage your emotions, you have to manage the things that you go into. And, and it's not just about every individual is a leader, every individual has to run their self. I'm very logical in this. It's the firefighter in me, I'm also very contingency based. And so I make everything as black and white as possible, even though I understand those are shades of gray. 
But by creating as many plans as possible, I at least have an option because the scariest thing for many people is the unknown. And so mm. when I face a situation, I try to write it down, even what might step in my way, because as a hurdle, I technically clear hurdles and obstacles for a living. But if I right. close my eyes to my obstacles, I will probably run directly in them and not be able to finish the race. So by at least listing what some of the obstacles you have, what are some of the priorities that you have, you can at least have an opportunity to create a plan towards attacking them. So that's what I try to do now, especially. I, it's like we called it in firefighting, name it to tame it. You have to understand what the problem, what the objective is in order for yourself to actually get a chance to attack it. If you close your eyes, it's still going to exist. Right. You might as well give yourself the best opportunity to do something about it. So, so I guess we're like the hurdling sport is we're like a perfect perfect way to represent if you like if you if you don't open your eyes and plan ahead you're gonna you're gonna get knocked down by those <laughs> by those walls that you that are there so i guess like it's a it's a good reference for like also like you know uh, planning ahead and and overcoming those barriers if, if not you won't get far far in hurdling either so <laughs> <laughs> but uh but moving on a little bit into like obviously now you're working with visas the development of their olympic and paralympic programs and what what are some of like you know specifically programs that you are working on? i guess like you can't share everything but but the things that you you do can share like what are some of the programs programs that you are working on and and i guess like what are some of the key responsibilities you have there yeah so visa is one of those few companies who definitely have a, a strong say in a lot of sporting entities from the NFL to FIFA to, of course, the Olympic movement. And right. one thing that we're trying to do is make sure that we have as many touch points as a passion-based company to show that we actually care about these things and it's just not logo plastering. Uh, so one of the things is this Paralympic Business Development, Olympic Business Development Program allows Olympians Paralympians, the opportunity to kind of transition into the world of business. I have had some business experience prior before, so that allows me the opportunity plus a master's degree to really take charge of my career. Because the yep. problem that a lot of athletes face is as they progress professionally on their sport, they ne not necessarily have the same opportunities to develop professionally in their career. Right. So this is one of those few that actually give those opportunities. In the work that I've done so far in a rotational base where I get the opportunity to dabble in different elements within the organization and again, showing our commitment to the Olympic movement. I've done everything from helping your mobile device to become a payment opportunity and a mobile wallet to right. helping able small businesses, uh, which is uh, I do a lot of work right now in small business enablement, outreach and advocacy and showing how we can help rebuild our society as we get out of this pandemic situation. Right. So from different partnerships that we have within the sporting community and tying that with our core businesses and getting back into communities, that's what we try to do. So of course, there's a core business where payments industry driving engine of commerce, yeah. but we have strong relationships within the sporting community and other communities as well. So strengthening communities, and that's the main thing that I'm able to do. And I'm really honored to be a part of a lot of that advocacy work. And it is a really important work too, you know, from like, not, not only of course, like you being, I guess, in a sense from both sides and understanding, you know, both sides of the table too. But I guess like from, as you were talking about earlier too, with, with sort of like, you see less and less of those, you know, how can I say typical sponsors, right? Of like, okay, it was a money, money thing, you know, or like, just like, okay, I want to associate myself with it because you can reach a lot of people, right? But now it's like, you see the, you know, the, the core brands like Visa, like, like others, of course, you know, representing, you know, like tying that into the Olympics and, and, and the movement and, and finding organizations and, and stuff that like, complements with that values right so i guess like a lot of the work that you know you're focusing on on too and like bringing back to community it's it, it's a big big thing you know for because it represents or like what sports is all about you know it's the community it's like you know having an opportunity for everyone and who what's what's better way to do that than the olympics and visa right to like spread yeah. spread accessibility i guess in a sense to to, to everyone because if you think about it this way 
uh, the Olympic movement really benefits as well for this because I'm in now situations and conversations where I can say, oh, I'm an Olympian. Oh, I'm looking right. forward to watching you this summer. That's right. average the Olympic movement in a, in a space with an audience that they may not have the opportunity to reach. And in the same sense, through sports, we can now interject how we can help people flow money and exchange a lot easier. And so how do you create more touch points? That's how our hope sponsorship will continue to move. Because we've seen through the pandemic, it can't have the same typical thing if sports are no longer existing. So how can we make that everyday conversation something that the relationship can be displayed? That's that's awesome. And 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 I want to touch a little bit on, of course, like the fact that you are on both sides of the table. Because I mm -hmm. guess like this is this is a very, you know, we have to talk about that because in, in a sense that's just a very interesting element, especially as an Olympic athlete. I mean, like you can say, okay, like I'm a, I'm a professional player or whatever, and, and working maybe for an organization, but, but it like, what have been, I guess, some of the key points that you've been learning uh, that you're taking towards in your journey towards developing these sports programs from sitting on both sides of the table. And, and I guess, how has that sort of like been affecting your communication? Because again, you, understanding more of what the different requirements are on, on each side. Mm -hmm. You know, from the athlete's perspective, there's a definitely gaining the understanding of what corporations and partnerships are looking for. Learning right. how to create that win-win type of situation. Understanding your worth on both sides of the table. What do you bring as a corporation rather than just a check? And then what do you bring as an asset? Whether you're looking for sponsorship of an event or for a team, or, or for yourself as an individual? What do you bring that you can have the opportunity to not just monetize, but expand? And right. that's really helps. If you, like you said, if you have the ability to sit on both sides of the conversation, everybody has an intention. By, by understanding the intention, you can help now create some continuity with the conversation. Right. And so I, and what do the teams need? What does the sports side need? And what's the bottom line that a lot of businesses are looking for? in that partnership and how right. can we better for at the end of the day the end user the fans that it's just not a logo on a jersey that doesn't make sense when it's like why is this person even sponsoring that when fans and people engage and they know it's just about the money there's less yeah. buying so the whole purpose behind the sponsorship is, is in a sense loss so creating yeah. that story is also a, a major part because now i can more life to the visa products and services in the conversation because i can see the touch points which is the main thing is how can we make this an everyday conversation outside of the match outside of the game outside of the olympics and and that's what is a really beneficial thing to do and and i guess like from uh, like a personal perspective you know as as an athlete too of like just working on your own sort of agreements and, and partnerships and, and sponsorships then how has that sort of like impacted your your communication i guess with these these sort of brands and entities great question um everything now is more purpose-driven it's not just about the, tr the check it's more right. about how is this relationship helping me achieve my individual vision and do our visions align so right. for example next month is mental awareness month what organizations care about mental awareness because we've seen through the pandemic that's something that's very significant that everyone yeah. faced so that's an issue that we can collaborate on you're looking for more cohesive collaborations and so you have the ability now to say no because yeah. what's your north star what's your your main objective that you're really trying to there's if you go into a meeting with a sense of desperation you've already lost yes yeah. so if you understand the value and the purpose behind a lot of the things that you're going to, it's okay to be like, oh, you know what, this is not the project for this partnership, but let's continue right. to the relationship and hopefully find something else. And I think that really helps you achieve more stronger uh, metrics and, and impact on the things that you're really attempting to do. And I guess that's sort of like a key lesson for, you know, whether you're a startup, uh, like a company, mm -hmm. uh, an athlete, you know, they're looking for branding or sponsor is that, 
and, and even like, you know, for students looking for a career, like of finding relevant opportunities and, and you got to sort of like look at the big picture. Does this align with what I stand for and what I believe in? Right. And, and that will be sort of like key moving forward. And we talk a lot about this from Sporting Global's perspective too, of like, how do we help our users matching with sports organization that they align with, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, if you have a sponsor, or like a brand is sponsoring this event that align, like it, it's it's such a higher chance of creating, you know, an impact and, and a value that will be beneficial for both both parties. And that's the end of the day, what is the key key metrics here, right? That's that's definitely the main thing. Uh, for me personally, the journey has been it evolves from just the big partner or the particular title or role to what are the key values that are that are being displayed even in the attempt to join visas the fact that they them as an organization their mission and values match mine then the yep. work becomes more meaningful and that's the main thing that allows you again that north star ideas a central point to where you can guide and direct what are you really about am i about the same thing right then together if that is a very beautiful and powerful relationship and you don't need many of those. You just need right. strong and quality over quantity. So as you're looking for sponsorship or you're looking for opportunities, you, you may get a hundred no's, but you only need one yes. And right. that's the. And it's also like, as you talk a little bit about too, it's, it's fine saying no, you know, it's, yep. it's fine. Just like, okay, if you feel like, this actually doesn't align with what I believe in, or if this is a company or a brand that is like, you know what, we're, we're in two different specters, you know, it doesn't work, then that's fine. And, and it's better pursuing, you know, and finding that organization or that brand that, okay, here we can achieve great things together, you know, than just taking whatever it is out there. And of course, I'm not saying like explore your options and, and think about it opportunities, but be more selective, I guess, going back to your quality before quantity approach. And to sort of like wrap up, I guess, of, of our conversation here, um, I, I wanted to like just hear a little bit, I guess, you know, from a standpoint of like, if you put on your sport professional glasses, <laughs> sport business professional glasses here, and I'm like, you already have them on. So, you know, that's, that's there. Um, and, and I guess like, you know, for providing some tips for students that, you know, feel like, okay, I want to be part of the Olympic movement in, in like any kind of capacity, like what are some of the key elements, I guess, that they should have in back of their mind? Like, how do they understand the mechanisms a little bit better? Because as I said, there's very few that are in your position that you're able to sort of like be on both sides of the table. And, you know, whether you're an athlete or you're a, a sport business professional, like what are some of the things that you should keep in mind, you know, going forward now? That's a really good question. And I think it's being true to the experience that you have. Authenticity is always going to be the, the key thing. One of the main things is sometimes you have to understand what are the pain points, what are the issues that an organization is really facing, and do you want to be a part of the solution? So like you talked about different themes that appeared in different Olympic games prior. Well, we're going to see a huge boom in technology because of Tokyo. We're probably going to see a strive for sustainability within Paris, and LA is going to change the game. Can you trend and see what's happening? I have some ideas, but maybe I'll keep that one in my pocket. <laughs> there's, there's different themes. We'll talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like, there's different themes in society that, again, sport has the ability to embody and press the issue at the given time. And so if you're able to see and identify that, then you can understand the needs that a lot of organizations are facing. So, for example, because of the pandemic, sponsorship was, whew, one of the hot topics that happened. So how can we reinvent how we engage with these partnerships? So right. understand, man, I, as a fan, my experience is I can't watch my sport in the same capacity as I have in the past. What would you want to do? Well, can we digitize it? Can we go to OTT, OTT services? Can we, can we do something in that capacity? If that's what you would experience, then that's the solution that an organization is looking for. And so- right understanding the authentic experience that you're having and finding a way to plan that out and hopefully making the connections your network is going to be a major major player they told right. you before 
tell you again, it's not always about what you know, but who you know, and being in the right connections with people, it definitely helps. And sometimes you can reach out to someone on LinkedIn or through this network and just ask a question out of genuine interest because a lot of people are willing to help. Not, oh, I need a job, but what are your thoughts on? I've read this, that you've written that. I would love you to expand on that. People love to talk about themselves. So that's an easy, easy way to get in. Show some genuine curiosity on the subjects that you care about. And at the right time, the best job is the one when they call for you. And that will come from the network that you've built. So be authentic to your experience. Try to solve some of your own pain points and find again the connection of who's looking for that solution or trying to solve that same problem. I know, like, I think it's a perfect way to segment into our, our, our second part of this uh, interactive podcast where, I mean, like, it's not just me, me and you, Mikael, that are on the table here. And I guess, like, we're, uh, we're going to open the floor for the students involved here to ask their question to, to, to Mikael and, and, and bring that up. And, and Nikki, I don't know if you want to, like, if you already put this in gallery gallery view but um but yeah i i see fanny's already having a having a question here so i'll let i'll let you dive right into it cool thanks so hi i'm fanny uh tuning in from oslo it was a pleasure to listen to you so thank you for that uh my question is i'm actually currently writing a paper about augmented reality and the olympics uh so uh, i was thinking my question through the paper has also been at what point does the technology disrupt us from enjoying the actual moment? When does this become too much? And I wanted to hear your opinion on the increased focus on technology and if it can extend to where it doesn't even serve the same purpose as we intended to. And a great question. Um, technology will always move at a pace faster than society. And because of that, it will make people uncomfortable. I love augmented reality. I've done some things around it, especially around the Winter Youth Olympics, uh, where we did some uh, concussion protocol type things. It's pretty sick what you, what you have the ability to do. But the power of sports is live. That's, that's, the, that's the one thing that we love about sports, the fact that it's live. We don't know what's about to happen. But with the rise of social media, what we love is interaction. We like to feel like we're the fly on the wall and we're getting the inside experience. So if there's a way that you can give a different experience that people are looking for from augmented reality, but not necessarily compete with the live asset, then mm-hmm. you can create space. So what we've seen in some major events is they'll create uh, fan experiences that are augmented, where they'll actually take fans into a practice or they'll take a fan onto the pitch or they'll take a fan into the arena. That type of experience doesn't necessarily compete, but it makes the overall experience more robust. So if you can find a particular experience that fans are looking for, then you have to give them. Imagine if you could do a walkthrough of one of your favorite football or Olympic stadiums as an athlete through augmented reality. Here's a free one. What does a fan, what would it look like? Or what would it feel like? Especially, ooh, this is a million dollar one, especially since fans are not going to be allowed in the Olympic games. Mm-hmm. Right? And athletes are the ones that get the opportunity to walk down that opening ceremony. I would love that augmented. Yeah. Imagine you will, that's, let's be honest. Fans will never experience that. That moment where your name and your country is called. What if they could? Find something that- Great insights, Fanny, and and (laughs) some some cool ideas already there, Mikkel. Um, Ryan, you wanna go into the, the next one here? Yes, absolutely, Mikkel. First off, I just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us. I had a different kind of question. So mine is, when was a time in your life when you failed at a task, did not perform up to your standards, or circumstances were out of your control? And how did you learn from it and move on? Do you have any tips on how to move on after a misstep in life? That's a million-dollar PhD question. I have two situations that I can tell you. There was one time when I was homeless because our funding system failed. I was literally on my way to the Commonwealth Games and I got kicked out of the place that I was staying in. So obviously the Commonwealth Games was a complete disaster for me. Complete disaster. 
And it was because there were some structural issues that we were facing back in my home country. Um, what I decided to do was be vulnerable and again, authentic to my experience. I honestly answered every reporter, how can you expect me to compete when I don't even have a place to live? I'm ready to go home. That turned into a major story. And then what I chose to do is rather than be feared by the idea of being blacklisted, I took on the fight and we were able to help make some corrections to a system that is benefiting many more athletes. Another opportunity there is, uh, I remember at the World Championships in 2015, I was expected to make the final and potentially medal and I fell in the prelims. You can find pictures of that online, great ones. Um, but I honestly felt like it was an opportunity for me to learn what a champion really looks like. And it's not what I win, but what I can overcome. And the fact that the spotlight was on me, the pressure was on me. I won the Pan Am medal. I won the NACAC championship and I failed at the world championship, but I got up and I finished my race. To know that you can get up is more powerful than knowing that you can win because you learn more from a loss than you do from a victory. Because if you think that's what it takes to win, you just repeat and do the same thing over and over rather than find a new way to get to cross the finish line. That's what it takes. So be authentic and be innovative and, and actually allow yourself to feel the things to overcome it. Wow, perfect. Thank you so much. That was, that was really powerful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. No doubt. Awesome, Ryan. It was a it was a great question and some good insights uh, there as well, Mikhail and uh, Diogo. You wanna you wanna put in put in your question? For sure, Ole. Thank you. Uh, hi, Mikhail. Uh, good afternoon. Coming in from Portugal, this question. Uh, wanted to get into a controversial topic a little bit. Don't okay. uh, don't take me the wrong way. Uh, but seeing I'm not from the U.S. and considering what I see. And considering your, your experience and the mediatic, mediatic growth of college sports, do you think NCAA athletes should get paid? Great question. And this is the part that a lot of people don't speak on. Um, this is just my personal opinion. The major sports that make money within college sports is, is, is football and basketball. So American football and basketball. The way the structure works, the money that comes from those two sports trickle down to all of the small sports. I'll give you both sides of the argument. The amount of money in the TV contracts for a nonprofit organization exceeds billions of dollars. Yet a lot of people like to say that the amount of money that you earn for a scholarship covers it. But if you had an academic scholarship, you can actually earn way more money than if you had an athletic scholarship. There's enough research to show that. Because as an athlete, you don't have the ability to work. So I can't earn any living. I can't earn money. So you are making a profit off of my image and rights, but yet I'm unable to earn anything until I graduate. Legitimate argument. However, if you pay the athletes, you only get the chance to pay the ones that are from the high earning sports. So sports like gymnastics, swimming, track and field, wrestling, what would happen to them? Because the big boys feed the small ones. And that's what allow a lot of equality amongst the sports. So it's a tough, tough situation because a track and field athlete, the amount of money that the NCAA makes for their sport is nowhere near the equivalent, the amount of money that they would make for NCAA football. So if you charge for one, what would you pay the other? That's the tough part. I mean, that's, uh, that's a good point, yeah. Uh, as I said, I, this question is just a conceptual question from what yeah. I see coming in from the outside. So there's mm -hmm. not much I can debate on that. But uh, I clearly see on point. But whenever you're in the Olympics and you see the, the introducing Ooh. the athletes, That's they always talk about like a university champion. He won the NCAA champion. And uh, that seems to be as relevant as someone who won the European champion. So Absolutely. at what point can you compare those two and paying ones in Europe and not the other ones in the US. That's kind of uh, an interesting thing to think about, like how you compare those two. That is a great question. And it's really hard to compare the two because the European system and the U US system is different uh, in many ways. The benefit of the NCAA is there's an already established structure. And because of that, the competition amongst itself is so elite. 
winning an NCAA championship in any event is literally, like you said, winning a European championship. Uh, but you could be a European champion and earn a living in Europe and you can be an NCAA champion and you're entering lottery to get a sponsorship contract. That's what it is. It's a chance that you will get an endorsement. It's not a guarantee because who wins the NCAA 100 meters versus who wins uh, the shot put is not necessarily going to be an equality of, of contracts. Uh, but if you were to ask a question about the Olympic movement, that's a whole nother monster because the NCAA versus who gets paid at the Olympics, which is also another structure that the athletes do not get paid from. That one is a little bit more tricky. <laughs> okay, that goes along with my second question. I don't know if I can still make it, Ole. It's okay. Uh, let's uh, let's dive a little bit over. But I wanted to I wanted to just open, I guess, like some thoughts from Nikki, Fanny, and Ryan, who's like you know in in I guess like studying in the U.S. and being part of the the closest I guess from like our, our American side here uh, to like just share a little bit. I don't know if you guys have any like comments or or, or thoughts that you want to jump in on this at all. I can jump in quickly. I, I only got to live in the U.S. for two months before the pandemic hit <laughs> and I moved back to, uh, to Oslo. But um, for me, it was I've been to the U.S. plenty of times for vacations and I was really looking forward to moving there. But it was it was sort of a culture shock more than I could even have thought, uh, especially just now during sports class. All all we're talking about is college. And I had no idea. And it's just I think it's so interesting how a world that unitely loves sports so much still interpreted so differently. And personally, sports is one of the biggest, what is it, labor markets in the world. An athlete from Jamaica has a 10 times better, bigger chance to get a job in Europe than let's say a doctor has from the same country. And yeah, just living in different countries throughout the years has just made me realize how how incredible athletes and sports and everything is to unite the world, basically. Cool. Um, yeah, if you need your Ryan, don't Ryan, you you wanna jump in? Yeah, so yeah, so I just wanted to talk about the whole should NCAA athletes be paid. I also see it from both sides. I remember our in in our sport law class, one of the professors asked me a question and I always see things from both sides so I can argue why they should be paid. I can also make the argument why they shouldn't. So, I mean, overall, I think all of the athletes should get paid a little bit in terms of they make literally millions, if not sometimes billions of dollars for these schools and they use their name image likeness. I know that's a huge issue and you see them on video games, or at least you used to now with the whole, you know, gaming issue, a lot of gamings don't make really NCAA games like before. So a lot of these athletes, they're being used, they're being replicated. And a lot of times they're coming out with zero. So I can see it from that point of view to argue from the university standpoint, you can say that they give them free housing, priority registration, they get access to the weight room. So it's a very complicated issue, but if I personally were to lean more towards one side, I would be more with the student athletes just because I was a swimmer in college. So I've gone through the long practices and then two hours of practice and then an hour of strength and conditioning and then, you know, do extra practice on the side and then go to class and get home late and then wake up at five, six in the morning yeah. and do it all over again. So it's very complex it's uh crazy but i know in florida i think in june the student athletes are going to start getting paid mikhail um, um please excuse me if i'm incorrect but i think starting in like may or june they're going to start getting paid at least yeah. in florida the law passed yeah i thought there was a case in california and in florida as well yeah but just to throw more fuel to the fire one of the other issues is well, of course, if you go to the University of Florida or you go to UCLA or you go to University of Texas, that's great. But if you go to Mount Olive College in North Carolina, right. how are their athletes going to get paid? So then there's going to be a discrepancy issue then. So all the talent is going to go to the big schools, which they already do. I'm a graduate of the University of Kentucky. So obviously, if I can get paid at Kentucky, then now 
not going to go to West Virginia, for example. So then there becomes an equality issue because a lot of that money, according to the NCAA, also gets distributed amongst other schools from Division One, Division Two, and down the chain. But again, this is just fuel for the argument for you to do your research and to make a decision because it is a hard life. I remember as an athlete, I used to ask our freshmen for a meal swipe because I didn't have money for food. That was a real life issue for a lot of people. So is there equality really happening? And I went to a big school. It's a tough one, but it's, I think the decision needs to be made. I think the athletes should get paid or at least have the opportunity to earn wages, which they currently can. For example, if I sign an autograph at an event and someone wants to pay me for it, I would lose my eligibility for my own signature. That doesn't make sense. So there's so much gray area and so much questions that needs to be tackled. But again, the system is still very archaic. Uh, There needs to be some sort of change. Something has to change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, me personally, I think they should be able to get sponsored. Like if Nike or someone wants to come sponsor them, what's wrong? It's like they're, they're trying to make a living. And just like how you said, you went up to the student and asked for the card. I remember one time we were coming back from a swim meet and we stopped by this place and I had no money. And then my teammate mm-hmm. had to pay for me and I felt bad. Okay. And you're going to see a rise of this issue, which has already been happening uh, because of social media and the ability to earn like TikTok and YouTube. There already have been high school athletes who have foregone their eligibility to be an influencer because they can earn more money on YouTube and TikTok. And the fact that they can pay their way to school and lose out on the eligibility also sparks an argument to that conversation. So if every person entering college now has a TikTok or YouTube page or Instagram and they're able to earn money and you're telling me as an athlete, I can't profit off of my personal page, that's also part of the problem. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's let's move. I, I want to make sure we we have the time to get the question from Lana and Pedro too. But Lana, you wanna you wanna jump into jump into your question? Uh, yes. Hi. Uh, so I'm Lana. I'm currently in Barcelona. So I wanted to ask you. You talked a lot about saying no in uh, your like choosing who's gonna sponsor you, who has the same alignment in some kind of visions you have for your future objectives and stuff like that but what about those who don't have the ability to say no because i come from a small country and our like national olympic uh, organization is not very well known to fund our athletes uh, with the good amounts of money so a lot of athletes go to other countries because they get better treatments there and similar stuff so what about those who can't say no and have to turn to other options? Great question. I was in that situation. I can honestly tell you I've earned more money outside of Trinidad and Tobago than I did inside of Trinidad and Tobago, capitalizing a lot on European and US markets, um, even the Australian market. I've never been to Australia. And so the thing is, you have to go outside of your network. Social media allows you the opportunity to expand that. I can cater content strictly for the Asian market just by what time I post it. That's what you have the ability to do. And so just like some physically move, sometimes you have to just change your market. That's one thing. And you still can find alignment with a company in Denmark, even though you're from Trinidad and Tobago, because at the end of the day, the content that you're capable of creating doesn't care where it's originated from. It cares about who it reaches. And so that's what I would challenge a lot of athletes and individuals to do is find the alignment even outside of your current network. So same thing, like if I was looking for a school and no school in my community is offering what I want, what would I do? I would look at a school outside in another country, another region. Same thing with market when it comes. So you always have the ability to say no, because no, it's a complete sentence. (laughs) So you just have to find somewhere else. It's a, I don't try to take it personally. I try to treat it as a numbers game. And so if the 100 people within my country all said no, then I need a new country to look into. And then when I've done that, then I do that. All I need is one yes. So just I'll keep applying yourself and expand the network and the market as much as possible. Find the niche, solve the problem, and connect the dots. Thank you. No doubt. 
right, uh, Pedro, you want to want to wrap up with uh, your your question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure listening to your story. Very inspirational, uh, Michael. I'm all, I'm also in South Florida. I'm in Boca Raton. I don't know exactly where you are, but um, uh, my question to kind of keep going with the controversial ones that they started was, you know, you mentioned technology in the beginning and how it's moving way faster than society. And mm -hmm. there's the there's, there has been a debate going on between esports and traditional sports. Do you think eventually esports could become part of the Olympic Games from someone who's, who knows exactly how hard it takes to get there? What do you think? What's your opinion about it? The, the goal of the Olympic Games is always to be a representation of, of some of the, the core values of society. And so the addition of some sports, particularly, let's say, Baseball is not a big sport in Paris or France, but it's going to be in the Olympics now in Tokyo, and it's not going to be in Paris. It's going to be again in LA. Why? Because the two biggest baseball markets are Japan and the United States of America. So the games must be a representation of what the people actually want. The Olympic movement is keeping its eye on esports. It hasn't said no to it, but no has to say yes. But because it's such a rising superstar of interaction, a whole niche of a community, they've changed the way that you engaged with fans. They have the ability to have an event strictly digitally. It is something that's such an anomaly that you must pay attention to. But it doesn't fall within the box of what the Olympic movement is. You can't test it. You can't measure certain things in the same way that we have in the past. It, Will it enter the format? Not yet. Can it? I think LA would be the best opportunity. After LA, we can see. But it's going to be such a monster that if you don't get ahead of it, you're going to lose it to the point where it will never want to join it, like cricket. <laughs> There's a reason why cricket, for example, one of the biggest sports in the world is not in the Olympic movement, which is also another argument that we say for another time. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Rancho, man. Appreciate it. All right. So, so with that, I mean, like, uh, I, I think we'll, uh, we had a good, good hour of great conversation. Uh, Mikel, first and foremost, like, thank you so much for being part of the podcast, for sharing your insights and your thoughts. And I mean, like, it was a great conversation. And, and to all of you, you know, Lana, Pedro, Fanny, Alberto, Nikki, Diogo, and Ryan, you know, it was a pleasure having you part of it. I hope all of you enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, it was our, our first try on something a little bit different, but uh, we, we really appreciate your feedback. And I think everyone can say it was really insightful, really great. And uh, with every video we do, we always finish with uh, with some Norwegians. I guess, Fanny, you're already, you already know this. So uh, <laughs> we always finish with Visnakis, which means see you later in Norwegian. So there you go.